Today, we will continue our series on Connected, Connecting with God and Others. Thank you for joining us. So here's what we say. Here's what we say and here's what we mean. We say your story matters, okay? And we, we truly believe that. Every person we encounter, your story matters. And it matters to God. It matters to us. And I can tell you that the Cross Loganville, when it comes to your story matters, relationships matter. And uh, we value uh, community. We value seeing people connected. Uh, we value seeing people contributing to the work of the Lord and ministering to others. That, that, that's so huge. And as a result of how we do ministry, we engage in dialogue with people. You will oftentimes hear us talk about uh, when we meet a person, hey, what's your story? When you start to study the New Testament, and I want you to think about this. When you study the New Testament, what you will see repeated whether it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you will see Jesus engaging in conversation and dialogue with people. Throughout the pages of the New Testament, he's constantly in conversation. And so uh, whether he's speaking to the masses of 5,000 or whether he's speaking to the 70, uh, getting ready to send them out, whether he's speaking to the 12, uh, his disciples, the three, the sons of thunder, Peter, James, and John, or the one-on-one -on -one dialogues, whether it would be Nicodemus or the woman at the well, connecting with other people and getting those people connected to God was absolutely uh, foundational in everything that Christ did. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is having this very interesting conversation with a lawyer. And if you read the text, the scripture says this conversation was with a guy that was an expert in the law. He was kind of top of the food chain, if you will, uh, top of his Harvard gra uh, graduating class. This guy comes to Jesus and wants to engage Jesus really in dialogue. Some of the texts say that he came to test Jesus or even to try to trap Jesus. But anyway, you, you find this conversation of Jesus interacting with a dude that was stooped in Judaism. He, he knew the law. And he comes and he asks Jesus a question. Think about this. He goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, he's saying, how do I achieve the kingdom of God? Well, the question is jacked up even from a grace standpoint, but from a law standpoint, it would make a lot of sense. Do implies performance. Do implies that I have to earn and merit and do something myself in order to have right standing with God or even in the kingdom of God, okay? So, so the question is, what, what do I need to do and what kind of hoops do I need to jump through in order to achieve this. I've got to make a contribution, right, Jesus? And then Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? What does the law of Moses say? The, the lawyer responds. It says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You, you got to love God. And then it says, love your neighbor as you do yourself. And Jesus looks at the guy and says, okay, that's right. Go and do that now and live. You want to live? You want to experience life? Then love God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer concludes, all right, I'm supposed to love God, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus 
Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus, regarding neighbor, who all does this include? It's a great question. And especially in light of culture in which we live. Do, do I have to love people that wear skinny jeans? Do I have to love those that have all these tats all over their body? Do, do I have to love those who have all this body piercing? Do I really have to love those who listen to country or rap or heavy metal? or Do, do I really have to love them? Do I, do I really have to love a person who votes differently than me? Do I have to love a tech fan or an Auburn fan or a Bama fan? Do I really have to love a person who has a different skin color or a different nationality or a different accent? Do I really have to love those? That, that's the question he's posing. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. You pick it up in verse 30. He says, a Jewish man. If, if I was you, I, I would circle that, highlight that. Let me tell you a story. A Jewish man, who's he talking to? He's talking to a Jewish man who is a lawyer, expert in the law. He says, you know, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Well, if you study this, this is about a 17-mile uh, track that featured a lot of trouble. There's rocky terrain. These robbers and these thugs would hang out and would actually ambush people on this oftentimes. He goes, there was a Jewish man leaving Jerusalem, heading down to Jericho, and uh, he was attacked by robbers. And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes and money. They beat him. And they left him half dead on the side of the road. Hey, hey you want to know who your neighbor is? All right, let me tell you a story. Steve's heading from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he's just been mugged. And he's laying there, and he's bleeding out. And if he doesn't get help immediately, he's going to die. That's what's happening. Then Jesus says, then two guys actually came upon him. One was a priest and one was a Levite. They were both Jewish. But this first guy is a priest. You're a lawyer. You come out of the, the law-based system. You understand Judaism. This guy's a priest. He, he's a student of the law. He, he's all about saying he knows God and honors God. And he sees this brother laying in the ditch, bleeding out, about to die, and, and he just walks on by. And not only does he just walk on by, but he, he, he gets on the other side of the road as if I'm going to ignore that. i got to keep cruising. And, and if you study it, even under the law, if a priest got next to a person that was dead or unclean, the priest would be viewed as being contaminated, and if he was viewed as being contaminated, then he couldn't go to the temple and worship God. And so the priest was basically saying, when it comes to loving neighbor, that's going to cost me too much. I'm avoiding that dude. 
Jesus says so. That, that, that's one dude. Then you got the Levite. The Levites also served in temple services of worship. And when he sees the guy, he avoids and ignores because loving neighbor is going to cost him too much. And to really love a neighbor would make him become dirty. And he avoids them as well. But don't miss this. Uh, who's my neighbor? Jesus says three words that rock this lawyer's world. Then he says, but a Samaritan. It rocks the dude's world. And I'll tell you why here in a second. Verse 33 says, but a Samaritan was on a journey. And he came upon this dude who was laying in the ditch, bloodied, bleeding out. And he came upon him, and when he saw him, he did not ignore him or avoid him. He felt compassion for him. He came to him. He bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, which is symbolic, if you will, of cleansing and soothing. He put this guy on his donkey. He takes him to this inn, this safe place, and he took care of him. Now, let me, listen to me loud and clear. What Jesus does in this story, not only for the lawyer, but for us, is that he confronts prejudiced thinking. He shatters it. The word prejudice just simply defined means to prejudge. So who's your neighbor? That's the question. You're wanting to justify yourself on who you're willing to extend love and, and mercy and compassion for. But the Samaritan, he, he came, he saw, he felt, he cared, he extended compassion. He, he, he was willing to get involved, if you will. He, he was willing to cross those social and racial and prejudiced lines because there is a human there that is suffering. A Samaritan, he cared about him. He, he felt for him, but a Samaritan. It's interesting when you, when you look at that. This was unthinkable in this culture. You understand that? That 700 years earlier when the Jews had been exiled, some of the Jewish men had hooked up with these women from different races, if you will. And so when they came together and they started uh, having children and offspring, that they were so shamed and condemned that they called the offspring of these mixed breeds or mixed races Samaritans. Samaritan was like a curse word that... Samaritans were viewed as dogs. They were less than human. Uh, they, they were despised. The, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And Jesus is going after this guy's heart. He, he, he's like a Samaritan. And, and here's what ended up happening over this 700-year period of time. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And guess what? The Samaritans returned the favor and hated back. So you've got 700 years of, of hatred. And what the Samaritan does here, he goes to a Jewish dude who is laying in a ditch, bleeding out, and in a normal 
state, this Jewish guy would have hated this Samaritan guy, but the Samaritan guy does the unthinkable. He crosses the street and he gets involved. Hey, I want you to love your neighbor as you do yourself. If you were in the ditch and if you had been beaten and mugged and robbed and if you were bleeding out and if you were about to die, how would you want someone else, no matter what their nationality or color or religious affiliation, what would you want them to do to you? You got to love them as you would yourself. So that's you. How would you want to be loved? And the Samaritan extends compassion to a person who is in need. Don't, 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 don't miss this. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. made this statement. He said the question that the priest and Levite asked was this. If I stop and help this man, what will happen to me? The Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? I think the reason a lot of us oftentimes we don't get involved and we don't engage and we don't serve is because we ask the wrong question. We're asking the question, if I were to do that and serve with these kids, I would have to change dirty diapers. What would happen to me? Or if I got involved in racial reconciliation and trying to break down walls of tension, what would, that, what, would, what would happen to me? Instead of looking at our neighbor, the people around us, and say, if I don't get involved, what's going to happen to them? If I don't extend love, what's going to happen to them? Because the heart of the gospel is loving God and loving neighbor. Jesus, don't miss this. Jesus asked the lawyer, after he paints up the story, he goes, now, which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? Hey, you want to know who your neighbor is and you're trying to justify your prejudice, racist position of hatred? Which one of these three was a neighbor to, to the bloodied, beat up, about to die victim. And the lawyer responded, the one who extended mercy. Jesus said, now I want you to go do the same. What he said was, the one that was truly a neighbor is the one that extended mercy. But you notice in the text what he didn't say. He didn't say, the Samaritan, because of the race, hatred, and prejudice thinking, it's interesting that in the text we have, he couldn't even say that word because it would have been a dirty word. It would have been a despicable, vile word. Who showed mercy? Who, 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 sh who was a neighbor? He didn't say the Samaritan. He didn't say it. Now, here, here is the level playing field. For all of us, racism is not born. It's not born. There's not a person in this room 
that was born with a racist gene. Being racist and being prejudiced is a learned behavior, right? Here's the way it's oftentimes learned. Maybe you were a victim, a family member, or a friend was the, uh, the victim of some type of hatred from a person of a different skin tone than yours. And so all of a sudden, something has happened, and because of a bad experience, there were seeds planted, and all of a sudden, if we're not careful, because of one offense or bad interaction with a person that maybe has a different skin color or a different nationality or whatever, we, we, we if we're not careful, we, we just start to assume that People, that, that, that whole race is like that. Or two, maybe it was passed down from one generation to another, which is bad education, but some, somebody told you and taught you, and what was taught eventually became caught. And if we're not careful, we have to stop and go, man, that's some twisted, perverted, bad education I got. Or, or maybe it's just ignorance, because you've had a lack of experience of dealing with people that are not the same color or talk like or walk like or listen to the same flavor of music or whatever. And so there's a lack of experience and a lack of exposure. And, and here's, the, here's the thinking. They're different than we are. I, I can't like them. And, and so we start to make these they statements and them statements. And I don't even know who they are. Because... When we deal with humanity, we have to get to the place where we say and we understand racism and being prejudiced is it's not a sin or skin issue. It's a sin issue inside the heart. We've got to get to the place where it's like my prejudices and my hatred and my condemning, condescending views, it has nothing to do with skin. It has everything to do with sin. And, and racism when you start to look at it and prejudice thinking, it's not just the presence of hatred, but it's the absence of love. And, and Jesus said, the greatest of all of these is really, I'm telling you, it's love. So any attitude that exists inside of any human, please hear me, <clears throat> any attitude that exists inside of a human that thinks I'm superior or even I'm inferior, it's jacked up and wrong. Even James chapter 2 says, if you show partiality, you're committing sin. You show partiality or favoritism, or that, that's sin. That, that, that's a hard issue. So maybe you were born on the other side of the tracks, whatever that means. So... How many of y'all stood in line for what family you would be born into? How many of y'all stood in line to the city that you would be born into? How many of you stood in line? None of us did. Where were you born? That's part of God's sovereign plan for you. Maybe you've got a different color of skin. Maybe it's black, brown, more yellow. So you didn't have anything to do with that. Every person... Every person, we all desperately need God's help in identifying and recognizing 
any prejudices that exist inside of our heart. And when God reveals those and exposes those, we have to call it what it is, sin, and we have to repent from it. Man, I got this stuff going on inside of me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the great minds of yesterday, who was martyred underneath uh, Hitler's regime, if you will. Him and Niemöller would not denounce their faith, and they continued to stand strong in Germany back during the days of the Nazi regime. Bonhoeffer made this statement that I think is so powerful. He said, judging others makes us blind. We're loving is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil, and we blind ourselves to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. When you judge, it's blindness. When we love, it's illuminating. I was told even growing up, hey, rich people think they're better than we are. Based on that cash marinade that I came out of and some of the poverty and pain, hey, hey, rich people think they're better than we are. That was not true. I've heard people say over the years, well, that younger generation is lazy and apathetic. It's not a blanket statement. You can't make that. I was told growing up, white guys can't jump. That was true for me. But I've seen a lot of white dudes that could jump out of the gym. But these, these statements get made, right? And all of us grew up thinking certain things about certain people based on our marinade and based on the influence that we came from. And whether it was truth or not, we all were told certain messages. And I can tell you, I don't know how my neighbor was treated. I don't know how my neighbor was rejected or abused or hurt. Every person I meet is my neighbor, and I don't know all that my neighbor has been through. But I can promise you this, and this is a truth, that no two people are the same, and no two people have had the exact same experiences in life. What, what, what do you know? I know that love is willing to sit down with whoever and engage in conversations with others that be my neighbor. And I know that the love of Jesus compels me to listen and seek to understand where another person is coming from. Then say agree, but love will enter into conversations. Even the scripture says, how are they going to know that you belong to me? By your love for one another. It doesn't say, uh, they'll know that you belong to me uh, by your theology or by your church attendance or by your denominational affiliation. He goes, no, they're going to know you really do belong to me by how well you love others, others that are like you, others that are different than you, others that have hurt you. They're going to know that, that one right there belongs to me because they love. I would write it down. Your, your neighbor is the next person you come in contact with. Your neighbor is just not the person across the street. Your neighbor is the next person you in, interact with and then the next person. So how do you love your neighbor? 
You love your neighbor like Jesus loved you. How did Jesus love you? While I was still a sinner and didn't deserve anything, he loved me. Then you make it your resolve to say, since I was loved that way, I will love others that way. Since God loves me that way, I'm going to reflect that onto other people. I think one of the cool things about our culture is, and I, I really do believe this, is that when you walk into the Cross Loganville, your story matters, and it doesn't matter what your color is or where you come from or what, whether you, you, you drifted down here from the north or you came here from Puerto Rico or you made your way from, from a different country into here. What, we don't care what your background is. We, we, we would look at you and say, your story matters. Why? Because I am convinced that there's only one race, and it's called the human race. And every person I look at, I go, man, they're made out of the same mud and the same blood, just like I am. Who's my neighbor? And you know, about four or five years ago, I had that opportunity to spend like a day and a half down at the King Center. And, and that was so enlightening for me. I mean, this group of us had spent a, just a full day on campus, and we, we toured Ebenezer Baptist, and we walked the home and, and, and just walked through the entire home of where Martin Luther King Jr. was born. And we listened to that last sermon he preached at Ebenezer, which was a cry for justice and a cry for the people of God to love neighbor and, and a cry for people to feed those that were hungry and to love on those who were poor and to extend mercy. I, I, I was just like, man, I grew up in the South. And, and I've been contemplating this whole tension ever since I was a little boy. Since I was a little boy, I've been thinking about this. I, I was attending school, first, second grade, where the walls of segregation in school started being broken down and the integration of all people going to school together was a reality. It was like blacks went to school together and whites went to school together. And down in Noonan, we didn't have a lot of different nationalities. We, we just had mostly just white folks and black folks, which were just folks out of the same mud and the same blood. And I, I, I was like, wow, we went to school together. We ate together. We used the same bathrooms and the same water fountains. We, we all just were people. We played on the same sports teams and we wore the same uniforms and we rode the same bus. Here's the craziest thing, though, as I look back on it. But when that final bell rang every day, dispersed. And it was almost like people went back to living segregated lives. Oh, we're in this thing together. But when that final bell rang, hold on, we just ate together, we just played together, we just did life together. What, what happened? split and and maybe because of my marinade my worldview was different but I can personally tell you growing up I identified more with the oppressed black community than I did the affluent white community 
we didn't live at the country club, and we didn't live in a big home. We lived in these little small box homes, and Dad did drywall for a living. And so there were blacks and whites all around me. And what I came to realize that poverty and pain and injustice and oppression is colorblind. I grew up with an oppressed-style family environment, not just my home. Mom and Dad were doing great, if you will, but my, my grandparents just lived on the old mill villages, and they didn't have much. But I always identified more with those that were oppressed than I did those that were affluent. I knew what it was like to struggle. I knew what it was like to see these kids walk into school wearing all the designer jeans and their Izod shirts back in the day. And go, that, that's not part of our budget. And even the rich affluent would look down on those that didn't style and profile and have the right garbs on. And I was like, man, what does the gospel of Jesus say about this tension and this prejudice-style thinking? I can promise you the gospel is in, it's incompatible with that. It, it, it's not on the same page. When you go back and study the early church, one of the major divisions in the early church was between the Jews and the Gentiles because some of these Jews had embraced Jesus as Messiah and they started getting in on this Jesus movement, if you will, but they started looking down on their Gentile brothers and sisters and they were imposing on these non-Jews, these Gentiles, that you've got you've to keep all this religious uh, ritual stuff if you're going to really hang with Jesus, which means you've got to keep this certain diet and, and you've got to make sure this circumcision and all this other stuff. And, and it was like, you're a follower of the way, but you got to do all this other stuff. And what they were teaching was Jesus plus you doing is going to really satisfy the heart of God. And I will tell you, Jesus plus nothing completes you. You got to do all this stuff. You got to go back and keep all this religious stuff. And even when Paul writes to the believers in Rome, in chapter 10, verse 12, he goes, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on his name. Paul was going, do you not understand that the ground at the foot of the cross is level? That, that Jesus leveled the playing field? You don't muddy the waters. Why? Here, here's the facts. And I promise you this is the facts. All people are created equally. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. doesn't matter. Nationality, pigmentation of skin, it doesn't matter. All people are created equally. All people are loved and accepted and valued by God. All people are jacked up and ruined because of sin, but all people are redeemable. I wrote this down years and years and years ago. My buddy Walter that was coaching me up, man, we were talking through this. Just four simple words. If you carried these four with you, is you just kind of did life. Every person you see, you go, 
I'm no better than them and they're no better than me because of origination. God made us all. Contamination. Sin royally jacked it up for all of us. Destination. They're going to die one day and stand before a holy God. And I'm no better than anybody because of salvation. Jesus has made atonement once and for all for all people. I just stop and go origination, contamination, destination, salvation. I'm like, what are you saying? I'm saying every individual on this planet that has ever lived anywhere is valued by God. We're loved. And that is what God is desiring to do is to remove these scales from our eyes so that we can see people created in the image of God. There's not one people group better than another people group. I mean, if I had to write it down, just like two simple things, I would say the truth is we're all born the same way. Lost. We're all saved the same way through the blood of Jesus. Who? Everybody. In Acts chapter 10, Peter said this, you know, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter into a Gentile home? You, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man even to associate with a Gentile? But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as being impure or unclean. I see very clearly now. Now, now, now I see that God shows no favoritism. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Peter's got this Jewish background. But remember when God gave him the, the vision, the revelation? He goes, go over there and hang with this dude, Cornelius. He goes, man, he's a Gentile. And Peter has like this vision of this sheet coming down and all these different animals were on the sheet. And he goes, go and just eat it. Go and eat. He goes, I can't eat that. That's unclean. He goes, don't you call unclean what I've made. And Peter goes, wow, I needed revelation. I needed illumination. I, I was blind in judging others. And, and God is no respecter of person. He doesn't play favorites. Hey, stop that. It's a sin issue. It's not a skin issue. And, and if we all got gut level honest, we would go, you know what? Based on our background and even culture and the marinade of how we were kind of brought up, man, Lord, based on the way I was raised and even framed, I, I do kind of prefer my people. I, I prefer my group. I prefer my kind because it's what I know and I gravitate toward what's familiar but, but I, I got some blind spots there. And becoming more and more like Christ, if we say that we're disciples and students of Jesus and becoming more and more like Jesus every day, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal those hidden areas that are keeping us locked up. He goes, oh, I want you to deal with that one right there. And, and I would tell you, just a simple thing would be, I would just pray and go, Lord, show me any prejudice thinking that I have inside my heart and mind. And then, Lord, bring it to the surface, and I promise you I will deal with it before you. As you turn on your searchlight, Lord, anything you show me, I'll, I'll deal with. If there's any wicked ways inside of me, deal with it. 
when you study the gospel, you have to ask, how did Jesus treat people? He accepted people. Whether they were Jews or Gentiles or rich or poor or whether they were men or women. And here's, here's the, the rub. Each of us can commit to either or. We can commit to be a wall breaker or we can commit to be a wall maker. How we do life is either going to build walls, maybe it's self-protection, but at the same time, you're keeping other people out, or you, you can say, I'm, 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 I'm going to break down walls. I'm going to be a wall breaker. It, it is time for the believer to take the gospel to the other side of the street and to get involved. Romans chapter 5 and 6, he says, God demonstrates his own love toward us, us all. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to say, the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. For who? For us, for all. We quote Romans or uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 often, but it says, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. For who? Anyone. Any person that belongs to Christ belongs to every other person that belongs to Christ. And we're brothers and sisters. Do you really believe, Tim, that the gospel has the power to change any human that you deal with? Absolutely. You believe the gospel is strong enough to change the most calloused heart and heart? I do. You, you believe the gospel can bring about restoration and, and totally revamp a person's thought process and life? I, I do. Back to what we read in Romans 10, 12. There is no difference. There's no difference. When God gets a hold of the heart, watch him work. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, and what really matters when you shake it all out is whoever. Whoever calls on the Lord. The next person you engage with, the next person you talk with is your neighbor. And Jesus said, go and love your neighbor as you do yourself. Go and love. Listen to your neighbor engage with your neighbor, get to know your neighbor's heart, share the gospel with your neighbor, invite your neighbor. Hey, why don't you come to church with me next Sunday? Why don't you come to our small group? You're, you're my neighbor. I'll wrap it with this, what, what I think to be one of the most powerful perspectives and one of the most, like the imagery of beauty in this right here is crazy. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, John is on the Isle of Patmos. God is revealing and unveiling to him. And John goes, I saw a great multitude from every nation and from every tribe and from every people group and every language. I, I saw it, and they were all standing in front of the throne before the Lamb of God. 
different languages, different nations, different nationalities, different accents, different colors. I saw it. They were all standing. All were standing because whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I saw them standing there, and they, they were shouting, salvation comes from God. Salvation comes from our God on the throne and from the Lamb of God. And they, 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 they fell face down and they worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, honor, power, strength belong to our God forever and ever and ever, amen. They Every nation, every tongue, every nationality shouting, salvation belongs to our God. God gave us breath. God created life. God made it possible for a man to be reborn and born again. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. They worshiping. So here's the close. I would encourage each and every one of us. It's like, all right, Lord, I need to do some deep soul searching and self-examination to see if prejudice thinking or racial, and I'm not just talking about white and black. I'm talking about when you deal with racism, you're dealing with some deep stuff. There's racism amongst white people. Some whites look at other whites and say, Sorry, no good. Even in the black community, blacks will look at other blacks. Oh, you're a lighter skin, so you don't understand. Every nationality, I promise you, this stuff's been going on for a long time. Hatred and the absence of love has been manifested for a long time. We will dog and criticize others. It's like, Lord, I want you to evaluate my heart. And then here's some questions. Do I make judgments or assumptions based on the, the color of a person's skin or nationality? Do I do that? Do I have any friendships that include people that are different than me? Who do I hang with? Who do I gel with? Who do I interact with? Do I have any friendships with people that are different than me? Or do I have any stereotypes or labels that I put on other people? Am I actively involved in reconciliation? Am I actually involved in seeing people get their hearts right with you and live together in community? But a Samaritan crossed the street. If I don't help this man, what's going to happen to him? And if we claim that we've got the greatest treasure known to the world being the gospel of Jesus Christ, wouldn't we want to share that with our neighbor, every person that we meet? You've got to be willing to care for others and dare to make a difference and share the good news of the gospel. Again, be a wall breaker, not a wall maker. Thank you.